Hello and welcome to the Shiny New Object podcast. My name is Tom Ollerton and this is a podcast about the future of marketing. Every week or so I have the pleasure and the privilege to interview someone exciting and influential from the industry and this week is no different. I'm sat here with Raphael Capitani who is brand manager for Cabri Cream Egg at Mondelez. I had the privilege of seeing Raphael present at Madfest. Yeah, that was Madfest. Uh, towards the end of the year, uh, their, their uh, really uh, recent but most brilliant creative campaign, which we may get onto, we may not. Um, so thank you so much for responding to me on LinkedIn and agreeing <laughs> to come on the podcast. So for anyone who doesn't know who you are or what you do, can you give us a quick overview? Yeah, thanks for having me, Tom. Really appreciate that. My pleasure to be here. Yeah, so I'm brand manager for Cadbury Cream Egg. I work for Mondelez, which is the company that... Uh, owns the Cadbury brand. Um, I've been working the company for the past eight years. I started my career at P&G. As you can tell by my accent, I'm not from the UK. I am um, Brazilian. So I've started my career over there. I did my internship at P&G. And then I moved in 2012 to I was Kraft Foods back then. Um, and then I started my career as a trainee um, at Mondelez. Um, so I've been in the UK for the past three years now. I've been working different Cadbury brands. So I've worked for Cadbury 12 Boost in the past. So I'm looking after those singles brands. Uh, we call it Cadbury chocolate singles, which is basically like candy bar. And then recently, um, over the past year, I've been working Cadbury Cream Egg. I'm very excited to, now we are actually what we call in flight, in season. So that's the Easter season for us. So yeah, that's a little bit of my career. And I'm curious to know, did you have any concept of what a Cadbury cream egg was when you were in Brazil? No idea. No <laughs> idea. And that's the beauty of working for this company because it's such a big global company um, and there are so many nice brands to work on. So I've started working for Oreo. So we launched Oreo in Brazil, actually. That was like non-existent. Um, so it was very nice work to, to start my career with, basically. And when I had the opportunity to, be, uh, to come here to the UK, I've... Um, I had a look to the brands that I had here and Cadbury Cream Egg was one of the biggest ones and I was so impressed to see that a chocolate brand was like featuring on the cover of the sun saying like this amazing campaign is live saying how a brand, a chocolate like that can be like that important and that iconic to this population and I found so interesting, so relevant I I need to be there one day and then luckily yeah I got the job so I'm really passionate about it and how did Brazilian taste buds deal with a cream egg the first time you had one that like myself yeah, yeah yeah well I I found quite I need to say I quite liked it actually right. yeah nice. I was a little bit sweet when I f- tasted for the first time but now I am more into these this Cadbury chocolate to be honest yeah um, my wife had the first uh, last week Really? Yes. The first cream egg. And she really liked it. Uh, again, she thought, she thought it was a bit sweet as well, but she was so craving for chocolate at that moment. She's like, I need to have a cream egg now. Let's go to the shop and buy one now. I say, okay, fine. So we did. Uh, so that was... Great stuff. So look, at the start of the podcast, we always have getting to know you questions. So let's jump straight into those. So... We have guests on this podcast who love reading. Some people don't read anything. Are you a marketing book person? And, and if so, which books do you recommend or, or revisit? Yeah, um, yeah, I'm reading different types of books. Um, more like yeah, um, dramas, thrillers, and more like medieval era as well. Uh, but when I come to marketing books, um, one that really came across really, uh, really resonated with me last year um, was a book called The Choice Factory. 
not sure if you have heard about this. The author is a guy called Richard Shotton. So it's a very interesting one because it talks more about um, behavior science and how consumers and people interact with the brand. So they talk about 25 most relevant biases um, that really influence what we buy and what we consume. So there is a huge um, impact here on advertisement. And the way they, they put those 25 biases in that book is very interesting because they put like real situations in which you resonate with. So you have been in those situations before. So you are like a consumer, basically. And give me an example of what are the, what are the most common biases. Um, one of the examples, for example, um, like the social proof, right? That was one of those uh, that really, I thought it was one of the really interesting ones. So for example, like popular brands, how can those popular brands can become even more popular and why they become even more popular? And one of the reasons is like, um, if you see someone eating a um, chocolate on a tube, for example, you, you're you going to think that that chocolate is quite like, popular because the person is already eaten in front of everyone. So it becomes more popular. And the way that that chocolate brand or the uh, biscuit brand, for example, Oreo is a nice example, the number one most uh, loved biscuit in the world. If you become popular by saying, claiming that, people are going to think, and this is a bias that already there is a popularity behind it. So. It's um, it's an interesting book that you can uh, literally influence the way you communicate and the way you tailor your claim. Uh, if you are popular, how can you make people to know that's even more popular? Or if you're not that much popular, how can you tweak the message to become more influential? So are you using this directly in your briefs to an agency? Or how, how is that knowledge from the book manifested itself in I, yeah, it depends. There is, like, as I said, like 25 different biases. And I try to um, challenge myself if my brief is a little bit um, too fluffy or if my brief is too, like, I'm, am I talking to right people and am I one of those people as well? Do I have any bias here? Do I have any kind of, how can I really tailor that brief to make sure it's more personalized to that um, person I'm talking to? Um, in the recent briefs that we have done, I think that I have like it's I have read a book before, and then to see if there was any opportunity for me to tailor it and to tweak some of the words. So, outside of books, what's the best thing you've spent your own cash on that you use for work? So not something you've expensed, but you spent your own money on it and you use it for work. I would definitely say that was um, my masters and my yeah MBA because I that's. That might be interesting for um, some people listening to that. But yeah. I come from a very, very different um, background. So my university background is pharmacy. So I am actually a pharmacist. And I was just passionate about marketing and communication before. But, you know, you're 17 years old. You don't know what you're going <laughs> to you're gonna work on and what the future looks like. So I was like, mm, I like communication. I like advertisement. But I also like chemistry and biology. So I went to the other... Uh, to the opposite of the uh, my uni, but then I was just passionate about marketing during the uni during the university, so doing kind of um, like representative for the students and doing like the marketing for the um, athletics associations kind of stuff. And um, my first job was at PNG, as I said. So PNG doesn't they don't look that much for the like the profile. Uh, sorry, they look more to the profile of the person rather than the the CV itself, or do you have any kind of business background, for example? So I've worked with different people from different backgrounds, biology, engineering, 
uh, pharmacy, um, even business, for example, when my I was doing my internship at PNG, so it's, that was really interesting. But then I was like, I need to really understand the theory behind it and put everything that I'm learning on the fly into different buckets so I can understand more about business administrations. And so I did my master's two years after work and started working in the business. So that was really helping with my strategic thinking. How can I really apply that to my uh, daily um, business um, tasks that I, I'm facing? So definitely my master's was one of my, the tipping points of my career to really try to understand more about what is business about, basically. Right, and, and, and you pay for all of that yourself. Yeah. That's, right, that's Company helped to fund a little bit, to be honest, which okay. was really helpful. Um, and so, in the last five years or so, what new belief or behavior has helped you or changed the way that you do your job? I think, um, I can say over the last five years, but actually even a little bit more, when I started over the past nine years working in this business industry, um, it's all about self-awareness for me. I think this kind of self-assessment um, and um, for you to get to know you a little bit more. And there's a lot of a lot, <laughs> trendy word at the moment, like the mind, mindfulness and how you be like more aware and be mindful about what you're doing, who are you, what are you doing with yourself? Uh, it's trying to understand the truths on you, basically. So I'm really trying to check in more with myself, trying to do like a bit more about meditation, breathe a little bit more, trying to understand what's going on, no rush, because we live in a frantic world, let's be honest. But the time with yourself is most important, because if you don't know yourself, how are you going to influence others? And that's, for me, the most important thing by being a marketeer, to influence, your, to influence other people and other people's behaviors, first, you need to know yourself. So I think that's, for me, um, this self-awareness, and especially moving to another country, you kind of need to do that, otherwise you just go with the flow, and that's not, a, not, that's not ideal. So tell me how you do that. That's an admirable approach to mindfulness, understanding these truths about yourself. And you mentioned meditation, which is a practice. Like, how do you how do you know when you spend enough time understanding yourself, and how do you do it practically? I think you feel uh, it's about like being. I think we need to be open about talking about anxiety, for example, these days. It's just a, a common thing that everyone faces it, and let's be honest, it's 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 a normal thing. But we need to make sure that we are um, being truth to ourselves, and we can just stop a little bit, when you feel that you are um, not necessarily focusing that much, you feel a little bit overwhelmed, it's a lot going on, you don't know how to move on, you just are stuck on something, and after, because you know yourself a little bit, you know that you are facing that situation and you are put in a box, as you say, so if you're feeling that you are in a box, there is no way to go, stop and breathe and like, I'm trying to read more books about this. I'm trying to do more like meditation, headspace, for example. Uh, wife is really helping me with that as well. So I think I think it's just a feeling. And it, it depends how, if you are a feeler, if you are not a feeler. So I am definitely a feeler, more like people-driven person as well. So I've kind of, when I feel that, I need to stop and rethink what I'm doing. So in the last few years, what have you become better at saying no to? I think um, I think it's about 
it's a different kind of approach. Not, as, not necessarily I'm, am I saying no to, but um, I'm trying to get more like a clear strategy and objective and prioritization on my day, especially um, the Easter business, for example, um, within Cadbury is like a very um, big one. So you need to need understand what to prioritize and in which moments and how uh, what's their clear objective and strategy. So have this in your mind first. So this and is then, really this is really on my mind at the minute because mm. I I am not great at organising myself and uh, how do you actually do it? Right, just let's trash yourself. So you come in in the morning. Yeah. Do your morning routine, yeah. meditation, cup of coffee, <laughs> gym, whatever it is. But you, you sit down at your desk. Mm. How do you work out what to do? That I, I need to sit down. I'm not I'm not that plan either. Right, so when I did some exercises before, uh, yeah, there's a there's an exercise called MBTI. I'm not sure if you've heard about this. Um, it's a tool. I'm really sorry. I don't know what it stands for, but it's um, okay. it's an, it's a tool that you can understand about like what are your preference preferences of thinking, right? So you know if you are like more a planner or more a, a spontaneous person, if you know if you're a feeler or more like a thinker, and you know that the brain has this kind of different ways of preference of thinking, right? When I did the exercise, I'm not a planner, right? But I, because I know that now, I know that I need to put that much effort and to change my mindset every single day to plan myself ahead and to be really clear about what am I gonna do. So I'm a more like a spontaneous person. So for me to go out, go to drink, let's, yeah, let's have a, a chat. Yeah, let's go now. It's like, I, it goes with the flow, right? It's very yeah. easy. But if you need to plan yourself, I need to acknowledge that be true uh, be be clear with me that i need to stop sit down put everything in a page what am i to do list what are my clear priorities start to prioritize and stuff listing stuff down have a clear mind map about what what are my next step, steps here what do i need to deliver the next week so i go to, i sit down at my desk i my first the first thing that i do is to go to my calendar yeah see what are my meetings for the day, what are my meetings for the next day, if it's a Friday, what do I need to prepare for Monday, wow. and then cl be clear about what are my priorities of the day. And then what do you do when you don't have enough time to do everything you need to do? How do you then do that? Well, first I panic, and then, <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, all right, that's fine. It's fine, it's gonna be all right. Um, it really helps when you have like a team of people that are already, they have already done the same exercise as you as well, so they know about their strengths and their weaknesses as well. Having like managers that have like clear, honest conversations with you one-to-one, -one, say, mate, I need you, I need your help to um, help me to deliver that. Oh, I need to have this conversation with someone else. Can you help me out here? So it's about talking and like having this kind of check-ins with, with everyone, I suppose, because one thing is, that is true for me is like you can't do everything on your own, right? Especially working with a team. You need to rely on others. You need to, um, especially talking with external partners, agencies uh, mainly. So it's about building relationships, talking, understanding, and, uh, and being clear with yourself that sometimes it's not going to work and what you need to do to make it happen for the next time even better so it's about clarity basically right well uh, it's good to know that there's someone else struggles with the same things, <laughs> that's for sure so we're at the halfway point of the podcast now and we're going to talk about your shiny new mm -hmm. object which is flexible and remote working a subject very close to my heart so yeah can you explain to the audience what that is yeah 
I think uh, remote working is more like um, I would say it complete, it's completely related to work-life balance. It's about being flexible. It's not necessarily uh, for about working from nine to five every day or not about going to the office every day. Uh, that is more like a very old-fashioned uh, way of working. So remote working is about like um, expanding to different kind of environments. It's the geographic limits. It's the schedule limits, and it's about the methods that you um, different methods to work. For example, work in different locations or um, work with freelancers, for example. Right. So it's a very topical um, topic at the moment. It's a it's something that we are embracing quite a lot and in the company as well. So it's uh, the flexibility to work from different locations. For example, I've recently. Um, in, uh, during December, for example, I went to Brazil to see my parents for the first time that I during Christmas time. So family and uh, friends is a, like a very important topic for me. I, yeah, it's my foundations basically. But I really want to, uh, wanted to spend more time with them. So I talked to my manager. I was like, I don't have any holidays left this year, but I really want to come back to Brazil to have my holidays with the family. But I don't. Um, how can I spend time over there and to be a little bit more time over there a little bit like longer because the flight's quite expensive it's a long trip so it doesn't make sense for you to just go for the weekend right yeah so I stayed there for three weeks and a half and working from Brazil for two weeks and um, coming back here like on the second just taking the week between like uh, Christmas and New Year off so that was a great opportunity because I could um, go to um, the coast and travel with my sister, my niece, my nephew, for example, and stay um, on the beach uh, in the afternoon. So I was working the UK hours, which meant for me that I was uh, waking up for 5 a.m. in the morning, uh, starting work for 6 a.m., which was 9 a.m. here. So from 6 to 2.30 p.m., I was working, like in a hotel, Connected to the Wi-Fi, which, in the, the which is absolutely yeah, in the reception exactly. Yeah, yeah. And then from uh, in the afternoon, I was um, able to enjoy the beach and the swimming pool with my my niece, my nephews. Why did you come back? Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, work, so <laughs> I have to be here. So that's about the flexibility. So agencies were really uh, nice with me, like having conversations. Skype really helps as well on those. Um, so. This kind of flexibility, geographic kind of flexibility, and different schedules, for example, uh, really helped. And what didn't work in that? So I think that's a, that's another thing, right? Because sometimes the reception is not so good. Uh, have you ever been in any situation in which you have like those kind of questions, like, "Can you hear me?" or "I can't hear you." Are you breaking up? Sorry, can you repeat that, please? Or "Oh, it sounds like a robot." Yeah, <laughs> I uh, did so the other day. I had a, had a it was a sales call actually, uh, and we started off on Google Hangouts. Yeah. Didn't work. Switched to Zoom. Mm. Didn't work. Went to Skype for business. Didn't work. Yeah. Went to WhatsApp. Didn't work, and I ended up just doing a call. Yeah. Like just a exactly. Mobile the mobile. Mobile, call, yeah. yeah. That was the, the, the worst, worst thing I've ever, yeah. ever had, yeah. they forgave me for it. But. And for me, it was like, we, ha- we, were, we were, in December, basically the, the new uh, Cremag um, campaign is live now, so it meant like December was all the deliverables need to be ready, 
which meant like all the weak transfers and stuff that I had to download in a very rubbish Wi-Fi, for example, sometimes I was struggling. So it was about expectations that the agency say, I'm sorry, I cannot download here now, but it's going to download overnight and I'm going to come back to you really? during the morning. Okay. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes it was great. Sometimes it's not. So you touched on a very interesting point for me, which is about the duality of technologies helping uh, our industry, for example, but at the same time, we are not there yet. Like, there's a lot of different ideas being released in CES recently, for example, a lot of like houses, all connected, wireless connections, you can just go, it's, it's beautiful, especially for early adopters, right? When it comes to your <laughs> daily situations, you often go to a, um, someone else's office, try to connect to the TV or screen mirror and just doesn't work. As I said, like you need to go to like um, old fashioned kind of styles or telephones kind of stuff. So for me, it, the future, what does, what does the future look like in terms of technologies or how can we implement that in our uh, industry much faster? Because we're talking about being more agile, talking about being more like flexible, but I think we have made a lot of, um, we have evolved a lot of uh, over the last couple of years, but I think there's still a lot to go. Yeah, I, it really confuses me, and I, I say this all the time, like, you know, we're, we're talking about um, self-driving cars and yeah. like spaceships going to Mars, but I, I just have a video conference call with someone that doesn't That's it. fall over. Exactly. Um, I, but I, you know, I, I, I don't really understand how, how all that works. But I'm curious to know, so yes, video conferencing's a bitch, yeah, we all know that, but mm. what was better other than being on the beach and being around your family, like, could, did you do any, uh, in terms of your actual work, how, how did that change? How yeah, did, absolutely. I think for me, it's like the freedom for you to get um, more time or quality time with the family, like that's one thing. So even if you are here, like the Brazilian example is one, a good one, but even if you're here in the UK, having today, for example, I worked from home. So it meant that I, um, I woke up a little bit later. So I had a lion, for example. Yeah. So I could uh, finish work a little bit early as well. So it means that I can go to the gym or I can cook at home or I can do just watch Netflix uh, straight away. <laughs> I don't spend like one hour and a half in the, com uh, in the tube commuting. Like an hour and a half. Well, I'm exaggerating. One hour and ten, like door to door, one, one ten. Yeah, it's, uh, it's still quite a lot anyway. But um, it's, it gives you the opportunity to try something new that sometimes you just don't because you have like the time that you, you spend on commuting, for example. Also, in terms of perspective, it gives you like uh, alternatives to think about if you don't, you're not in the work environment, right? Sometimes you're just stuck in a subject, you have like a lot of questions, people interrupting you all the time, so you're like, I need to do it now. But being at home or being in another place brings you a new perspective of what am I really doing here? What do I need to prioritize? Does it make sense? If I were in this environment here now, would that make sense? Because sometimes you're just in that focus a moment within company thinking in that bubble but if you come to another kind of environment it helps you to open your mind sometimes so do you think that there should be a re remote working mandate for example like I, I run a business and should I be saying to my team you have to work from home twice a week mm. it's an interesting topic because I think the the word in between mandate and flexibility, they are quite opposite. But if it's so valuable, yeah. for all the reasons that you mentioned, you get some more time with your family, you can, as soon as you finish work, you're watching Netflix yeah. or cooking or going to the gym. Yeah. 
And if you're seeing the world from a different perspective, then like if it's that good, yeah. then, we, then it mandates a strong word. But you know, like to so encourage, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. exactly. I think so that's the word. What do you think is the right balance? Is it two, yeah. three, or one, yeah. four, or? I think I usually work from home or from agencies like twice a week. So going to the office three days a week and there's a balance of like working from different locations uh, twice a week. So I think this like two, three kind of balance is for me an idea, works for me. For other people, might be like for one or every single day from home. It really, really um, varies. Wife, for example, she works from home every day. Because that's the the, na- the nature of her, for her work. And it works for her. Like, it really depends on the person. So I think that you need to be flexible with your team as well and let them see what works better for them. And so, so what advice would you give to someone else who worked at a brand who hasn't tried it yet? Like, what are the what are the easy steps you can take towards remote work? And I mean, I, I mm. love the fact that you went to your boss and said, <laughs> "I want to come work from Brazil for a, for a while." Um, how yeah? How how do you start? moving towards something like that? I think it depends on the company that you work for, right? So for me, the example needs to come from the top. So if your senior leaders and the main stakeholders, they don't support it, they don't don't embrace it, it's not going to work because you're going to feel that you need to be there because, uh, yeah, it's not coming from the top. So because I work in a, such a company that embraces that and all the, leader, they, all the leaders, they, um, they also encourage us to do it, it helps. So I think that's the first step. You need to start from, you need to lead by, uh, with the example. Um, the second step would be try something that's still workplace but outside from your area. So say, for example, you can go to coffee with a couple of uh, other um, teammates or working from the agency, if you have like strong relationship with the agency, for me, that really helped. You're like being physically and mentally present with your agency, having more contact with creative guys, for example. And agencies have nice furniture and coffee and stuff. Always, yeah, <laughs> and beers on Fridays, sometimes, yeah. yeah. Okay. If you're listening to that, please keep that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think that's, uh, that's uh, it helps you to strengthen relationships with them as well. So helps you to yeah think outside the box and bring different perspectives to your work so thank you so much for discussing all that stuff i mean it's been really interesting to get to know you and uh, hear about where you've come from and all like all the different things you've tried and i'm gonna have to, have to look into mbti and i, I think you, you give me a picture of uh, very holistic view of, mm-hmm. of marketing, uh, which is really nice. Oh, cool. Um, but if someone wanted to get in touch with you, how would you like them to do that? Um, I think the best would be through LinkedIn. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Rafael Capitani. Um, um, can you spell that? Just yes, yeah. R A B H A E L, and the surname is C A P I T A N I. And what makes a brilliant LinkedIn message? Ooh. Because you might as well get good ones, I suppose. Um, I think the way you've approached me, <laughs> I think there was a good one so straight away with a message saying, yeah, can we just get in touch, um, have this, this, and that to discuss. Um, yeah, I'm not that good to reply them all, to be completely honest, but when it's like straightforward ones and 
to come to a podcast, for example, I'm more than happy to, to reply them. Right, so succinct and to the point. Yes. Well, look, man, thank you so much. Uh, good luck with Cadbury Cream Egg season. Thank you very much. I am definitely going to go grab one on the way home. Please do. For the <laughs> I will enjoy that. Thank you so much. Thanks, Tom, for having me. It's a pleasure.